Amen. Well, guys, if you got a Bible, would you join us, grab hold of it, open it up to Daniel chapter 6. Physical, if you have an electronic Bible, however that works, join us here because we want you to see what God would say to us and want you to be able to follow along with us, speaking to those here, but also to those joining us online. Same invitation. Grab a Bible, join up. Just make sure that you're with us so that as we're going through this, our great desire is that God would speak to you, that he would give you understanding of his word, but in understanding his word that he would speak to each and every one of us. So let's take a moment right now as we head towards that, let's ask him for that. I'm going to lead in prayer, but I'm hoping you would pray as well, just asking that God would speak to you today through his word. Father, right now we step towards a moment where we're going to study and talk through your word today, and yet just asking, Lord, that you would do what you do so well. You would take your word that is powerful, which you told us is alive, which is active, and God, you would give us understanding. You would open up our understanding to what we're seeing so that we are able to see just all that you would have us to see in that. But Lord, I know that Today is not just meant to be about information. It's not just meant to be about knowledge. It's meant to be about you working inside of us and changing and transforming us. And so, Lord, I'm asking for that, that you'd help us to hear what you would say to us, what you'd say to each and every one of us, and that from this we would just be able to see that work that you're doing in us. God, give us ears to hear from you this morning. We ask for it together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, maybe you know the old adage, familiarity breeds contempt. Hey, that's a real thing. And this morning, I want you to think about that as we come into one of the most familiar sections within the Bible. The, certainly one of the sections in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, which has the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Now, here's the deal. My guess is there's not anybody in this room that's like, what? Like, Daniel and Lion's Den, never heard of that, you know? For most of you, it's like, I know that story. Boy, I've known that story for so long. I mean, I've heard it, I've seen it, I've seen shows. I mean, I, I mean Daniel and the Lion's Den, like, we know Daniel and the Lion's Den. And yet, that familiarity could actually cause us to miss even what God would want us to say, because it is indeed a great chapter, and we do get to see Daniel in it. We've already spent a couple weeks kind of considering Daniel's character. We're going to spend one more week next week kind of watching through some things happening in Daniel. But here's my challenge. It might be that if all we see is Daniel, we're missing a large part of the story. That maybe one of the main things that's actually happening in Daniel chapter 6 is not Daniel in the lion's den, but it's Darius in the lion's den. Darius, well, yeah, he's the king. In fact, he's the one that has the highest kind of blueprint within Daniel chapter 6. He's how the chapter begins. He's how it ends. Though we watch Daniel, we only hear from Daniel once. We don't get to see much of even how he feels in this chapter, but we hear and see a bunch about Darius. And if you'll pay attention with me, I think you'll understand that certainly one of the keys of this chapter is to watch it from his perspective, to see Darius in the lion's den, or what God is doing for Darius in the lion's den. Yeah, that's where we want to go this morning. That's where we're going to track through this chapter, seeing the whole thing, but trying to watch Darius. Well, for that, let's go back to the beginning of the chapter that we covered a couple weeks ago, and notice with me how it begins. 
It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Yeah, we watch this whole thing. And the thing that really begins is to, to watch what Daniel, what, sorry, Darius distinguishes in this moment. And what he distinguishes is Daniel's character. Yet Darius, that's the first time we meet him in the Bible, first time in the book of Daniel. He's a king. He's the king over the medial Persian Empire. It's a new one. I mean, Babylon has just fallen at the end of chapter 5. Now we're in chapter 6. It's a new kingdom that's stretching across the place. Darius is there. And as he's reorganizing the kingdom, he puts in place 120 satraps, people who would kind of watch over the affairs, and over them, three governors. Three governors who govern the whole land, and one of those three is Daniel. Daniel's there. I mean, he's in the midst of that, but he's doing such a good job. And his character is so excellent that it told us again there in verse 3 that he's thinking about making Daniel just over the whole realm. He's making him thinking about just being the one that would be chief over all of these governors and over all these satraps. That's an incredible honor. Now, as we gaze into this, I want you to both see that, but I want to put before you that I believe God is at work in this, that God is the one who's brought Daniel into such a position in the realm and in the kingdom. In fact, that's been kind of consistent for us in the book of Daniel. Some of you might remember back in chapter 1, it said, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. That as he first starts there in Babylon, that God just brings him into favor. I mean, he brings him into a place of both their honor and respect, and then that would continue. By the end of chapter 2, Daniel's over all of the, the, the wise men in Babylon. His favor has kind of been renowned in the midst of it. And, and now we find him in that same place. And I just want you to see that I think God is doing that. I think God is shining favor upon Daniel, and he's in this position because God's orchestrating and making it happen. Now, I was thinking about that, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about some correlations into some of what we see in the book of Genesis. If you're reading with us, and I know that many of you are, as a church, we read through the Bible together, and right now uh, we're in the book of Genesis, just about to finish it, actually. And in that whole story, we'd seen some interesting things. We saw Joseph and how God had blessed him. It told us this in Genesis 39. It says, "'The Lord was with Joseph.'" And he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And I just want you to gaze into that and see a similar thing. Joseph, whose life was indeed going through some hard spaces, and Daniel's was as well, to be honest. But both of them have this place that God is with them. And they're, they're, they're blessed. They're, they're in a place of recognition. God's favor is upon them. And things are happening in a way that is positioning them for, for what God would have for them. Now, that's an amazing thing, and again, to see God's favor, but it doesn't necessarily make everybody excited. Oh, if you know the story, you pick it up there in verse 4. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. 
They look for some reason to discredit Daniel, something wrong with his, his character, something that would be in the midst of this. They're moved by jealousy to, 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 to seek to move him out of that position. And what they discover was that Daniel was an incredibly good man. Now, we spent a whole Sunday on this. Two weeks ago, we talked about this. We talked about Daniel's character. We talked about how God would want us to be the same, to be good people in a bad world, and just an amazing part of that, that Daniel shines. But it was more than that. See, they look at Daniel, and they discover not only is he a good man, but that he's a godly man. They say, we're not going to find anything to accuse him of unless we make it against him and his God, because one of the things they discover is that Daniel's incredibly serious about that, that he's incredibly serious about that. So they come up with a plan that we'll talk more about in a moment that makes prayer illegal for 30 days, that nobody can pray to any God except the king. And Daniel's response to it, well, gaze on down verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel was a man of prayer. And once more, if you've been traveling the journey with us, that's what we talked about last week. If you missed that and you want to go back and get that, all those messages are online. But we watched through all of this. We see Daniel's just character shining. He's a good man. He's a praying man. But I'm challenging you to view it from the eyes of Darius. And in many ways, what we need to understand in this first part of this is that Darius is impressed with Daniel that he finds himself just, you know, wow, this, this is a good guy. I mean, so impressed that he's thinking about making him just over so much of the kingdom. I mean, he's just, wow, I like this guy. I trust him. I, I, I respect him. And Darius has been drawn to that. And again, I think it's because God has created this space. We'll hold that thought. And then we begin to understand. That happens. Darius is there. He's watching all this happen. But then he ends up getting duped. Hey, quick FYI. Like all of my uh, kind of like bullet points are going to begin with D. I don't know why I did it. I just did. If you're visiting, don't, don't think, well, I wonder if he always does that. Does he always like you? No, I don't always do that. You know, I just, I just did. So hey, if it works for somebody, great. If it's kind of like troubling you, then give me grace, you know, and just say, okay, just, just follow the point. So he ends up being duped. Yeah, here he is, and, and Darius is now deceived. Notice how it happens in verse 6. Says, so these governors and satraps thronged before the king. And they said to him, King Darius, live forever. Pause. If you have a good imagination, try to imagine it for a moment. See, Darius is on his throne, and now all of these leaders, they throng before him. This is kind of an orchestration, you know, kind of thing. They, they time the way they do it so that it feels like an impacting moment. They've, they've obviously planned this out, and they just come all before the king, almost as if they came separately, but they're actually all together, and they begin talking to the king. It says, all the governors, in verse 7, of the kingdom, and the administrators, and satraps, the counselors, and the advisors, we have consulted together to establish a royal statute, and make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Hey, this is their scheme. This is their plan. But please understand, they're lying. I I think that's probably clear. But I just want to make sure it's clear. Yeah, this is all a thing. And they tell the king, hey, we've all talked about this. Like all of your leaders, all the satraps, all the governors, and we all agree 
There's only three governors. One of them is Daniel, and they left Daniel out. I mean, certainly left Daniel out. They probably left out others as well. I mean, this is them kind of trying to present a, a united front before the king, but they're lying to the king. They're telling him, hey, this is, this is you know, us kind of trying to bring you into this space, and, and they're trying to work that. And they come up with this plan to say, okay, Darius, let's make prayer illegal, and nobody's going to pray to anybody but you. Now, we gaze into that here in 2021, and it's a little bit surreal to us. Like, I mean, that's who would ever do that? But understand this, in that culture, in fact, in the cultures of, uh, of the world at that point in time, it was very, very common to see the king or the ruler over an empire as a god. You'll find this all the way even up into the Roman times in, in places where they did this. Now, here's the deal. Some of them probably really thought they were. I mean, there were some of them that were so crazy and so kind of warped that they really did see themselves as deity. Many did not. But many understood its power, that it was a uniting thing. In a, in a very kind of you know, spread out kingdom, one of the things that would unite a kingdom was to treat their king as a god. It would be one of those things that would kind of create just both a united kind of work in the midst of it. And so that's in many ways often what they would propose. So it's just not a surprise. I just don't want you to see this like, I can't believe they would actually want you know, everybody to pray to the king. It was actually quite common. Now, not only was it a common thing, but right now it makes sense because in many ways, that's probably partly what they're appealing to. Hey, the world has just changed. Babylon has fallen. The Medo-Persian Empire has stepped into motion. Darius is a brand new king, kind of over a new empire, and their kind of presentation to him is, boy, we need to really unite this. I mean, like, this would really be a strengthening thing. If we could get everybody only to pray to you for 30 days, hey, this would be and it would probably speak to him. He'd be like, oh yeah, that, that would be a good thing. And so you can almost hear the reasoning. But at the same moment, there also needs to be an understanding. They are definitely speaking to his pride. They're definitely kind of, oh king, we think you're amazing. We want everybody to think you're as amazing as we know you are. Tell you what, let's let nobody pray to anybody but you because you, oh king, are, are magnificent. And he kind of buys into it. I mean, he hears all of this, and, and he hears what's happening, and so they make their presentation. Verse 8, now a king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. We probably need to make sure we understand that. Yeah, that was really how the Medo-Persian law worked. If you, as a king, enacted a statute, it couldn't be changed. Why? Well, it's not that hard to understand. They really did play into this whole God thing. It would be a really weird thing if, you know, a God changed his mind. Like, hey, we made this decision yesterday. I changed my mind. We're totally not going to do that. So it became part of Medo-Persian practice that once a law was in place, it could not be altered. You find that here. For you students of the Bible, you'll know it in the book of Esther. When Esther is also still under the Medo-Persian Empire, you know, he's like, I can't, we can't change the law. <laughs> we, we can't rescind a law that has been made. And so it was part of that whole deal. So they were asking him, hey, let's make a law that can't be changed. And so in verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the written decree. I mean, he, he buys into it. He hears them like, oh, this is a great idea. Yeah, write it out. And they got it all Okay puts his pen to paper, now it becomes law. And at that moment, they spring their trap. Well, yeah, Daniel hears about it. He prays, as we already read in verse 10, but then in verse 11, 
Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They knew he would, so the trap is now sprung. They go rushing before the king. They go before the king in verse 12. They went before the king and, and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Again, if you have a good imagination, I guess, at least in my mind, the king's like, of course I remember. I signed that. Good law. <laughs> it's like, we're doing it. I, I, of course I remember. And then they speak it. So they answered in verse 13 before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives of Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And when the king heard these words, he was greatly displeased with himself. Yeah, again, I just need you to understand, he is displeased. He's been duped. He's been lied to, and he's bought the whole thing hook, line, and seeker, and, and now he finds himself just in this... Oh. Now, here's what I know. There's probably nobody in this room that doesn't know what this feels like. I mean, maybe, maybe there's one person here that you are so wise that you have never been duped, but that's probably not true. You just probably wouldn't tell anybody. You know what I mean, right? I mean, that one thing where you bought that used car... And you were like, boy, they told me it's going to last for like years, and, and it didn't. <laughs> and you're like, ah. Oh. Or, or maybe you really did think that that phone call was trying to extend your car warranty. <laughs> Does anybody actually fall for that one? I hope not. But if you did, hey, I get that. Or maybe you fell for, you know, some Ponzi scheme. Maybe somebody did something, and it sounded so good. And you're like, yeah, that's a great idea. And you put your pen to paper, you signed it, and then it happened. Somewhere along the line, you realized, I've been had. I, 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 I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've been just drawn into this. I believed it, and now you're there. Now, if you've, that's happened, and most of you it has, I just want you to feel that for a moment. As much as you can, kind of pull that emotion into your heart. Or just try to remember what it feels like. It's a moment where you're embarrassed, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're disappointed. You're like, oh, and you begin to have, I can't believe I bought into it. I can't, now I'm thinking through when they're like, okay, we all had this decree. It's like, oh. But what's interesting is he's really upset with himself. Not a bad thing. That's what they're going to blow into. He's displeased with himself, but it's, it's a hard moment. It's a moment where all this is happening. And again, if you can feel that, I want you to feel it in him because it moves him from a place of recognizing that he's been duped to really a place where he is really stressed out about this whole thing, where it's kind of moved him into it, and it's partly this kind of thing that we already began reading, that he's actually really disappointed with his own heart. Well, let's read it again. It says, as he, as he looks at this whole thing, and, and, he, and he thinks about, you know, how this happened in verse 14, it says, and the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself, and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He's so upset. He's mad at himself and he labors literally all day. It says that he sets his heart on this. And you just need to understand that this is something that speaks of an intensity. 
I mean, when it says he's laboring all day, it's not one of those things like, hey, I was thinking about it. It has the idea like he poured himself into this. It became, I mean, everything else went off the schedule that day. And the only thing he's thinking about is how do, we, how do I undo what I did? How do I, how, do I, how do I do it? He's got all of his aides probably working, searching, like, how can we take away the law that I made, signed? I mean, what can we do? How can I deliver Daniel? He is, his stress level is high. He's trying very much just to fix this whole thing, but he can. Tells us then that, there in verse 15, then these men approached the king, and they said to the king, no, O king that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king has established may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Again, I want you to see this, and again, not from the perspective of Daniel. We'll come back to that next week. I want you to see Darius. Here's this man, he, you know, he, he was, he's upset with himself, realized he did this, and now he has to administer it. He's the king. He's the king. They have to bring Daniel in there. They bring Daniel before him, and, and they cast him in the king's presence into the den of lions, into this place which would be certain death, gruesome death in, in those days, and the king has to watch it happen. He has to let it happen. He has to see this thing executed under his watch. And that's incredibly hard. Now, out of that, you know, he finds himself struggling greatly. It tells us in verse 17. It says, Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him, and also his sleep went from him. So you watch this whole place, Daniel's in the lion's den, and he is absolutely joyless. I mean, he's sullen, he's sleepless. It's one of those little fun things. Daniel probably gets a better night's sleep than he does, I mean, in the midst of the whole thing, but it, it just rocks his world. And, and he, it, it just has, has been a devastating moment as he watches all this happen. He finds himself just in, unable to, to be able to move from this stress that has carried him through the day, now has carried him into the night. And I just want you to watch that for a minute. I want you to try to see Darius in this space and understand something that I believe is happening. See, such things can be helpful in bringing us to a true place of humility. They can bring us to, well, saying it differently, an end of ourselves, And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, all of this really becomes this. As you watched both Daniel being distinguished and then the king being lied to, and, and now this stress level that's there, there's something that's happening inside the king that I think it can, can humble and bring him to an end of herself, and that's something I believe God is doing. Now, here's what I know. If you're a child of God, if you really do know Jesus and, and you're a believer, somewhere it happened. Somewhere you came to actually recognize that you're not good enough and there was nothing in you that could fix you. Somehow you came to an end of yourself. Maybe it was a really hard event. Maybe it was an emotional event. Maybe it was something happened where you just recognized, I need help. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a mess. I'm not there. The Bible tells us that's where all of us are that all of us are sinners, that all of us are broken, that, that even our good works, they're like filthy rags, rags before God. So literally, we have nothing going for us, that we are desperately poverty-stricken spiritually. 
But the problem is we just don't always see it. Sometimes we just want to believe the better about ourselves. And so life comes along. And one of the things that can happen is it can just pop that bubble. And it can just, you know, bring us into an awareness of our smallness, of our inability, of our, of our own frustration with ourselves, And that's a glorious thing when we let that carry us to God. And I think that's honestly what's happening here. That something's happening inside Darius that his whole world has just went through a roller coaster. I mean, it began with this really high, high, like, I'm the king, I'm the best, and everybody loves me. And, you know, we're going to make everybody pray to me. I mean, he's like at this high, high, and now he's at this low, low. Uh, he's like, I messed up, and I, I can't fix it, and, and somebody's dying because of me, and, and, he, and he feels that weight that is compelling him into this moment that is a good moment. So with that as a backdrop and kind of this, this darkness and all this is happening in Darius, notice with me what also happens. See, it's in this same moment where he begins to discern, where he begins to see, well, Daniel's true character, Go back with me, if you will, to verse 16. You might have noticed if you were paying attention, we only did half the verse there. Let's go back and finish it. So, so the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Walk around this statement with Darius with me for a moment and just catch with me. It's really the first time we see it, that there's something about this that the king is able to see in this moment. Hey, Daniel, you serve your God all the time. Your God whom you serve continually. And, and then Darius says, hey, he will deliver you. Now, it's an interesting phrasing of it. It's not necessarily a positive statement. I mean, it kind of reads that way in the New King James and King James, if you have it, it kind of makes it sound like the king's encouraging Daniel, like he's telling him, hey, God's going to save you. Now, it doesn't probably work that way out. It's probably not really yet where the king is. I mean, certainly not because he's going to be sullen and depressed all night long. It's not something he solidly believes in. It's probably a little bit more of a wish or an encouragement. Daniel, you're God. I hope he saves you. Daniel, I hope you're God who you serve all the time. I mean, maybe, maybe he'll do something, Daniel, but he doesn't actually believe it even as he says it. You know, it's not like he's solidly there, but he's still saying it. It's a still a clear observation. It's still something that right now, in the midst of everything that's happening, he sees what Daniel believes. He sees that for Daniel, God is his God and he serves him continually. And what I want to just bring before you is that trials do that. Trials often amplify our witness. One of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons that you and I go through hard things in this life is so that people can see God. That sometimes the black backdrop that God allows, allows the light of Christ to be seen more clearly. It seems to be that way for Darius. He never made this statement earlier, I mean, earlier, he's like, man, Daniel, I just want to, I like him. <laughs> he's a good guy. I'm going to put him over the whole realm. It's not till it gets difficult that Darius says, you serve your God all the time. You're, you're, you're a person who takes your faith seriously. You're a person who continually sees that. And so somehow the trials do that. Now, I just want to remind you of how powerful that is. And I want to just tell you it is. Now, we could spend the rest of the morning just quoting verses because there's so many verses that speak this reality, but let me just give you a couple. One of my favorites is found in Corinthians where Paul simply says it this way. 
It says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says things that are just profound, and sometimes you're like, okay, I need to think through what in the world did he just say? So if you need help there, just think this through with me. God commanded light to shine. That's Genesis. He's the one that created light. He's the one that created hope. And now that light he's seeking to shine through us so that our hearts become those that receive the light of the God in the face of Jesus and reflect it into this world. That now we become kind of the way that Jesus would speak to us and say, you're the light of the world. So that our lives now get a chance to shine that. Now, that's a great thing. We just like, okay, so people can see God through us. God who is wanting to show people God is real, he's seeking to do it through you. Now, that's really, really good, but keep tracking. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence may be of the power of, may, may be of, the power of God and not of us. It says, God's going to do this in such a way so that people aren't attracted to us, they're going to be attracted to God. He's going to let it be so that our vessels are like earthen vessels. I mean, there's just nothing spectacular about it so that people could see him. Now, that's a great thought. But what do you mean by that, Paul? What do you mean that our lives are like? How does that actually work practically? Well, he doesn't leave us out of the the loop. He tells us. We are hard-pressed on every side. You're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Oh, I didn't know that's where we were going. Yeah, that's exactly where we went with it. He says, so here's how it happens in our life. Part of what makes it so that our lives can shine the light of Christ is we go through some really difficult things. We end up being hard-pressed on every side. That's the idea of absolutely stressed out. It's like, okay, we get just stressed. Like, stress is just crushing in on us. Now, God's going to be good. He's not going to let it crush us, but he's still going to let us be stressed. There's no, no place of us like that. That's not a part of the Christian life sometimes. That sometimes he lets just stresses amount around us and the weights fall heavy on us. Other times, we end up being perplexed. The idea of perplexed is we are absolutely lost. We have no idea what's happening. And we don't even have any idea what we're supposed to do. I mean, like we're looking at life and like, I don't even know. Yeah, that's a part of the Christian life. He lets us be perplexed, but not despair. I mean, there's still hope for us. We can be persecuted where things are against us, but not forsaken. We can be struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down has the idea of being knocked down. It really is almost a, um, like a boxing metaphor. If you, if you know boxing, it's like, it's like we got hit and we, we, we got knocked onto the mat. We're just not knocked out yet. We're going to get back up. We're going to get back up. But it speaks of something that is indeed, if you can kind of watch through this whole thing, that's a statement that sometimes our lives are going to go through some difficult moments. And we're not exempt from such moments. We're not exempt from being perplexed or stressed or knocked down. But something's happening in the midst of that that is not just about the trial. It's not just about us, you know, being in something and and making it through a difficult space. He says, no, we are always carrying about the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Like, this is always happening in our lives. He's letting us go through things that kind of picture the suffering of Christ so that people can see the glory of Jesus out of our lives. That this is always happening in our world. That part of the thing that's happening is so that people can see Him. 
In the midst of that, let's go back to the text just for a moment because there's this really cool kind of sub-picture or kind of the story behind the story that I don't have time to develop in great measure, but just enough to lay it before you so that if you could see it, you can be excited like I am. Because although Daniel is there, although Darius is there, there's a deeper story. Go back to it and see it again. As we watch this whole thing happen, Darius tries to encourage him again in verse 16, and then it says in verse 17, then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lord that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So think about this with me. There's a den, there's a cave that is a cave of death that has a stone rolled against it, and it's sealed. Does that remind you of anything? I mean, is anybody like, I wonder if I've ever seen that happen. Well, yes, we will see it happen. That's Jesus. When Jesus dies on the cross, they take him, they put him in a cave, they roll a stone against the door, and they seal it. It's kind of this, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing. That's, there's something here about caring about the dying of Christ that is even being pictured here. And if you will fast forward, go ahead with me there in verse 19. And it says, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. Hey, we'll read more about that in a moment, but again, for you biblical people who get it, you would be thinking, so does that ever happen? You know, like that same cave, that den that's sealed, like early in the morning, someone makes their way to find out if there's any hope. Yeah, that's exactly what happens when Jesus rises from the grave. It's exactly what we find when Mary makes her way to the tomb. And, and so there's this picture here of the death and life of Christ that is the story behind the story. But in some ways, I think it's part of what's make it, supposed to catch us right now into this reality that that's partly what Daniel's going through. That's partly what we're going through. We're always caring about the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be manifest. Now, Paul says that, and then he, just to make it more clear or try to say the same thing another way, the very next verse says virtually the same thing. He says it this way, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. This is always happening to us so that people can see Jesus. This is always happening in our lives. We, we get delivered to what? Persecutions, stress, perplexities. We go through things so that out of that, somehow people can see Jesus in our lives. That some of that becomes the dark black drop that makes the light of Christ more visible through us. And that's the intention. That's the intention. I think that's incredibly powerful there in that section. I want to tell you, I think it's what's happening here, but let me give it to you in a more simple way. Peter would say the same thing in a different way. He reasons with us and he says in 1 Peter 3, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. So even if things happen to you that you don't deserve, like you're trying to do what's right, you're trying to do the right thing, and instead of that going well for you, it goes badly for you, and you find yourself getting mistreated by this world and by people around you, Peter says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Wow. This is an amazing verse, and sometimes people take it entirely out of its context. 
Sometimes this verse is saying that we ought to be those who can answer everybody's question, like good apologetics, like we should be able to say, okay, I can, I can give you all the answers from my faith. Please don't misunderstand me. Not a bad thing. And, and where, we, where God draws you to that, that's great. But what's interesting about this verse is it's kind of given to us in the realm of trials. Even if things happen to you badly and you get mistreated, don't stress about that. Don't worry about that. Just, you know, but instead, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready. Because somehow in the midst of that trial, you might get an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Where somebody's going to ask you, you know, I'm noticing something about you. I mean, somehow what you're going through, the black backdrop in your life, has made me see something that I'm not sure I've seen before. What's that? What's that, what's that light that seems to be an emanating from your life? What is that thing in you? He says, you should be ready to tell him it's Jesus. You should be ready to say, hey, I'm so glad you asked because I, I get to tell everybody I have hope and I get to do it with meekness. I get to do it with kindness. There should be a, a realm of, of the way I do that. I want to tell you. I think that's what's happening. These trials that are happening in Daniel's life has allowed his witness to shine more clearly so that Darius now sees this reality in Daniel. Wow. Well, that discernment now becomes a discovery. This thought of just what he sees within Daniel, the, the light that was there, the hope that it was there, he now gets to kind of gaze into it. Let's go back to it and see it. Just pick it up in verse, we'll just start reading in context, verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went with haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. And the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? I mean, there he is. He's asking that question. Has God been able I mean, did it happen? I mean, could it happen? I mean, is there this place? I mean, he's urgent about this. I mean, there is that thought again, first thing in the morning. I mean, the sun's barely up and he's up and he's like making his way there and he's not expecting it. He's not hopeful. He's really distressed still. Again, he says it with a lamenting voice like, Daniel, I'm so sorry. Is there any chance? I mean, is your God real? I mean, could God, could he have done this? And again, it's once again interesting, he says it a second time. Your God whom you serve continually. I mean, does that work for people? Does this idea of serving God continually work? Can he rescue? Can he rescue you? And can he, can he rescue people? He's asking this question. He's looking for it, trying to figure it out. Verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the, mouth, the lion's mouth so that I have not, they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Yeah, Daniel speaks, which is just a great thing. I mean, Daniel isn't killed in the lion's den. I mean, that's the story you already know. Hey, we'll come back and talk about that a little bit more next week, kind of Daniel in the lion's den. But it's just great that Daniel steps into this moment and says, hey, yeah, my God's been able. I mean, my God has saved me. I, I, there's, there's an, I'm, I'm right with God, and I'm right with you. There's innocence. There's, there's, there's favor in this whole thing. It's a bold. It's an accurate. 
And it's a godly proclamation, which again is the point. I mean, that's what I'm just trying to tell you is that part of this is so amazing is Daniel glorifies God in this midst of this situation. He seizes this opportunity that's a God-given opportunity, and he speaks it well, which is what we're just talking about, right? We said, okay, sometimes we're going to go through trials so that people can see God. And so we just had talked about it there in Peter. Hey, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I mean, when that happens, when you're going through that hard thing, be ready for someone to speak and in that speak for God. Tell them. Tell them that, that, that God is able. Tell them who God is in your life. And that's exactly what Daniel does. I mean, he does this amazing thing that does exactly this. He does it with meekness. He speaks kindly for the king. He, he speaks it with a gentleness, but with a hope. And what Daniel does is something that God is looking for you to do. I think about a familiar verse for some of us in Ephesians 2, where it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul gives us a statement that's a universal statement that is true if you're a follower of Jesus, that he has taken you on as a project. We are his workmanship. He's molding you and making you and positioning your life where he wants it to be. That Daniel would get a chance to stand before Darius was God's work. God's favor was on him. God, God, God put Daniel in the right place at the right time. I mean, God was making Daniel to be the man that he would be so that he could be that. And what God did in Daniel, he's doing in you. And yet it's not just to shape us, it's to prepare us for those opportunities, those God-sized, God-prepared opportunities, which he said God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's a promise. It's a promise that if you're a follower of Jesus... He already knows where you're going to be, and he's going to do some setups for you. He's going to set up opportunities for you to share Jesus, for you to just declare who he is. There are opportunities that are God-given that God provides, which is exactly what I'm putting before you, I think, Daniel 6 is about. This is a God opportunity for Daniel to speak to Darius, to do what he says is these good things, these good works where he says, hey, we're made in Christ for this. We're made for good works. In fact, take that phrase, good works, and let's just put it into the phrase that Jesus said the same thing. He says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Like, do this in such a way that people are impressed with God, that they see that our God is able. He is big. He is faithful. He can work, and he does work. That's what people need to see in us. That's what we're supposed to do, and Daniel just does a really good job. I'm just wanting you to understand Daniel, he, he, he does. He steps into this moment. He speaks with respect, and yet he's able to do it in a way that says, my God, my God, he was able. He sent his angel. He took care of me, and he gives us this great perspective. Now, I was thinking about that and thinking of what a great example that Daniel is, and then I was thinking through just the section that we've been reading. Some of you have been with us as we've been making our way through Genesis again and uh, just some corollaries and some interesting things. And I think about our reading yesterday. We read about a moment where Jacob was given, I think, an opportunity. It told us there in Genesis 47 that Joseph brought his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. 
And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? So here's this moment. Jacob is now before Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world probably at that point in time. Kind of like Darius. Darius literally was the most powerful man in the world that Daniel was getting a chance to speak to. So now Jacob is in a similar kind of situation. He's got this opportunity to speak to Pharaoh. He's got this you know, kind of platform where he can speak. The king asks him a question about his life, and so Jacob responds. Jacob says to Pharaoh, The days and years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days and the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. Okay, here's what I want you to understand. That's not a really great statement. I mean, if you're paying attention, it's kind of a little bit depressing. It's like, yeah, my life's been pretty stinky. Few and evil have been the days of my life. It's been so hard. Boy, I've not had what my father's had. It's been a rough. Boy, I'm I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad to kind of take this moment to whine and take this moment to, to just say how hard life has been. Now, I'm just telling you, that's what I think Jacob does at this moment. He doesn't mention God even one time. Nowhere in this does he speak it. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that Jacob didn't know. He will do better at other times. In fact, if you're reading today, Jacob does speak, this time it's to his family. In fact, he speaks this way twice in his life that we have in Scripture, both times to his family, and he'll say, hey, God has been the shepherd of my life. He has been with me every day of my life. He has watched over me all the way through my life. And it certainly was one of the realities that he knew that would have been a better thing to say at this moment. I mean, to say, hey, can I tell you about the God who has watched over me for 130 years? Can I tell you of, of a God who's been faithful in my life and, 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 and watch? I mean, he could have done it. Instead, he whines and, and kind of complains. Now, as you're thinking that through with me, I just want to tell you, Daniel could have done the same thing. I mean, Daniel could have come out of the lion's den and he could have come out in a foul mood. I mean, he could have come out accusatory. Darius, I can't believe you. You put me in the lion's den. What were you thinking, dummy? I mean, I don't know. I mean, he could have been. I mean, he, rightfully, he could have been. Instead, he speaks with a kind of, Darius lived forever. Even though Darius had messed up, Darius's mistake had cost Daniel this, but he speaks in kindness. He doesn't speak accusatorily. He doesn't, man, it was a rough night. Do you know what it's like sleeping with lions? They stink. I mean, I'm just telling you, this is not, not a fun moment, you know. I mean, he could have complained but he didn't. My God, my God, he was with me. He, he, he took care of me. I'm, I'm going to tell you, Darius, about the God that I serve who is capable and able. Yes, Darius, God is able. Yes, he's done it. And Daniel glorifies God. I think it's this amazing reality that I'm calling you to this morning that hopefully through part of this, you'll be challenged to say, I want to do that. And I want to do the Jacob thing that, you know, given some opportunity that I just whine, you know, like somebody really wanted to hear that, I want to take opportunities that maybe when I go through something hard and my light is shining and people are asking like who I am, I want to share it. I want to say it. I want to speak it. I want to do that. That's exactly what Daniel does. His faith shines. In fact, keep reading. Tells it to us this way, again, just starting in verse 21, then King, the Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that I have 
did not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. The king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. I mean, the king is really excited now. I mean, he's really like, oh, Daniel. And, 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 but it gives it to us again. It's Daniel's faith that is shining. It's his belief that is shining. Now, it doesn't go so well for his accusers. It says in verse 24, Then the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Yeah, it's a pretty destructive moment. And without spending much time on it, please understand, this isn't God's endorsing of this. I mean, some of you are like, I can't believe that. that them, their wives, and their children, hey, God's law is pretty clear. Like, children shouldn't suffer for parents' things. And so when he speaks about it, he speaks, this isn't God. This is the king. This isn't God endorsing it. This is just a statement that it happened. But it does show a couple of things. One, shows us that the lions really were dangerous. I mean, just in case anybody's like, well, maybe they were old lions. Like, maybe they were full. Maybe there really was no danger. These accusers don't even make it to the bottom of the den. They die gruesomely. Their bones are broken. So it was a really precarious situation. It also gives us a little bit of a, of a biblical law of recompense, one that's found throughout the Bible that Proverbs speaks about, that, you know, be careful of, you know, kind of roll, trying to roll a stone on somebody because it'll roll back, and there is a sense that so often it happens that way. That which they sought to do to Daniel had happened to them. That which they had intended to bring on others, God had allowed now to roll back upon them, and that's a scary reality. Either way, it goes badly for them but that's not our perspective. I mean, again, for us this moment, we're watching. So Darius is there. I mean, he, he, he's recognized Daniel's faith. He discovers that God is able to deliver through Daniel. So now it becomes a question. So what happens to Darius? Does he become a follower? Does he become a disciple? Does he become somebody who, in that sense, becomes a follower of the true living God? Now, let me seek to answer that question carefully and simply say Bible students are absolutely split on this. If you were to pull commentaries and listen to people, some would say, no, you know, not really actually certain that he becomes a believer, in part because something that Darius is going to say in a moment. In fact, when Jesus gazed down there in verse 26, says, I make a decree in every dominion of my kingdom that men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And it's kind of an interesting kind of description that sounds hopeful, but it's also like, what do you mean Daniel's God? I mean, and so some would say, no, we're not really sure that this is a saving faith. Others feel confident that, no, maybe it is. Now, here's the simple deal. Nobody knows. <laughs> I mean, nobody knows. I love how it says it in Timothy. Hey, God knows those who are his. I mean, he knows who's really his. But I need you to understand, Daniel 6 has been about God pursuing Darius. If you, if you, if you, I'm hoping you've seen that with me. And, and the question is whether he actually surrendered or not. Weren't, you know, again, people doubt. I, I kind of think so. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm kind of in the category that I think that, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, that someday you're going to get to be able to talk to Darius what were you thinking? <laughs> what, Daniel and the lions didn't. That was your fault, dude. I mean, it just, I mean, I just think that maybe we'll get to have those kinds of conversations because I think maybe he does become a believer. Why? Well, notice with me what he does. Go back, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, 
peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom that men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Yeah, he publicly makes this confession of who God is. I just want you to understand, that's a pretty powerful reality. He sends this notice out to the whole world. I mean, this is the guy that was supposed to just a moment ago said he was God. And I find myself thinking of Jesus, where he said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, then I will deny you. He makes a public, bold statement that he sends to the entire world that he has just emphasis into. In this statement, not only does he say that they're to tremble before the God of Daniel, he goes on to say in verse 26, for he, speaking of God, is the living God and steadfast forever. Like that, this God, he's the real God. He's the God who's always God. I mean, that's, an, again, an amazing statement from the man who is supposed to be God. He's like, no, no, this is the living God. And his kingdom, he says, is the one that shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. I mean, he's like, you know, my kingdom isn't that his kingdom is. His kingdom is forever kingdom. I mean, somehow in the midst of this, he's learned all of this, and then he just speaks of the confidence of what God did in Daniel. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. I mean, this God delivers. I mean, it's a powerful kind of statement that I think very well may speak of his salvation, very well may speak of him becoming a true follower of God. God knows that, but I just want you to see certainly that's what God has been pursuing. So let's put it together. So we've been watching this whole thing, watching, okay, there was this incredibly hard moment that led up to, well, the lion's den. But the story is not just about Daniel, it is about Darius and how he in many ways brings us to pass. But through this incredibly hard space, he recognizes, he discovers, and maybe becomes a follower. And that becomes an amazing story. In fact, it has been part of the story of Daniel. Let me just back up for a moment. If you've been with us in our study of Daniel, quick reminder, we've seen a bunch of things happen. We saw it back in chapter 2 that then the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is there. He has a God-given dream that he can't understand. And if you are with us then, we talked about the incredible reality. Like, why would God give a king a dream? Why would God give a, a king this that he doesn't understand that only Daniel can, could interpret? And we talked about then that we believe that God was pursuing Daniel's soul that God was seeking to create this opportunity, I mean, to pursue Nebuchadnezzar's soul, using Daniel, giving him an opportunity to speak. And that took us to chapter 3, where the same king has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cast into the fiery furnace, and they have a chance to testify and show him, hey, our God's real. Our God, he sees the one walking in the midst of the fiery furnace. Well, that took us to Daniel 4, which actually was Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony where he talks about how he came to know the real and living God. And once more, he speaks about the opportunity that Daniel took to speak to him the truth, that Daniel was the only one that was once again able to just help him understand what he was facing and bring him to this. And so all of these were these incredible God-given opportunities where Daniel spoke to these. Chapter 5 was another God-given opportunity, where Daniel speaks before another king, Belshazzar, it doesn't go so well. Belshazzar doesn't believe, but the opportunity is fully given. Daniel takes that moment to share the truth before him. 
And so that took us to chapter 6 where we are, where once more it's Daniel having a God-given opportunity to share, and he does. So in one sense, that's got to be part of the story of the book of Daniel, right? If you're kind of walking this through with me, there's a bunch of other things happening in the midst of it, but one of the things that's happening is we're watching God create opportunities. We're watching for such a time as this. We're watching for God to put someone in the right place that they have a chance to speak for him, and Daniel does it from the highest places. In fact, it's interesting, when he ends the book of Daniel, it'll tell us in chapter 12 when God speaks to him, and God says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. As he's explaining things to Daniel, he says, here's the thing, those who really walk wisely, you know, they're going to shine, but if you shine in such a way that people embrace the truth, then you shine like a, st- a night star. Then, then your life will be one that, that is that. And if I can just say it to you kindly or gently, that's Daniel. <laughs> I mean, that's Daniel. I mean, if you understand the idea of a star, it's like a black night and a star shines out that really becomes navigation symbols for so many people in the world. He says, that's what you'll be. He says, if in this world you'll shine, and and turn people to righteousness, which is what Daniel's been about with the most powerful men in the world. But I think it's probably so many more. I I think Daniel's influence, probably this was just a picture of of some of those whom he influenced. Certainly, it wasn't just kings and leaders. And and Daniel would be when he says, okay, and those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. That's the invitation. The invitation is to do that because I'm telling you God's wanting to do that in you. That it told us there in Ephesians 2 that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This isn't you. This isn't something you need to create. It's something God is creating. You just got to walk in it. You just got to be willing. If Daniel has a lesson for you, it's like, okay, when, when, when you get the platform, when you get the moment, speak for him. Take that moment for God. Who knows what God might do with that? I hope this morning that such an invitation challenges you. I hope that it draws you to say, I'd like to be like that. I'd like to walk in that. I'd like to be one who so can speak. In fact, with that, I want to just back up a couple verses there in Ephesians, where it simply says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I mean, like this is the only way anybody gets made right with God. It's grace. See, I want to step into what might be a God-given opportunity. Maybe you're here this morning in this room. Maybe you're watching online. And life has dealt you some really devastating blows recently. Maybe it's the world. Maybe it's something you're going through. But the reality is you've come to an end of yourself. Something has just made you recognize, I'm not enough. I'm a mess. I, I, I can't fix it. And I just want to tell you, one of the benefits of that is if you would look to God that maybe out of that space you would see it, and we hope in the midst of it you would see even Christ shining through us so that we could tell you, hey, you can be saved through faith. It's not you. You can't fix yourself, and God isn't asking you to. It's a gift. It's a gift he would give you. It's not something you can work. It's not something you can earn. It's a gift that God would give you in Christ to bring you into new life, and today I hold that gift out to you and say, okay, maybe you're the Darius. Maybe you're the one that's seen, 
and you're asking, can, can God do this? Can God fix? Can God rescue? He can. He does. It's all about Jesus. That is the story behind this story. The one who went to the tomb and rose again that morning and, and the hope that's found there. It is within that that if you're there this morning and you don't know Jesus, I invite you to that relationship with him. So with that, let's close. Let's take your Bibles, notebooks, whatever it is you have open, and we think about the story that we've walked through. Familiar? Yes. Maybe a different perspective. To watch it happen with Darius. One more time, maybe that's you. Maybe you're the Darius. Maybe you're the one that needs to believe in Jesus. Maybe like Darius, you need to confess and and surrender to him. We're going to give you a moment to pray, and in that moment, we're just asking, hey, it's a good moment to surrender. It's a good moment to surrender. Maybe. You're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus. And I don't know what it is that God has worked in your life this morning, whatever that is. I want to give you a moment to pray and just ask God to work that. But maybe it is an invitation to say, God, I want to walk in the opportunities you give. I don't want to do a Jacob. I don't want to waste opportunities whining when I could have been sharing. I, I want to I you know, take hope and say, I want, I want to give an answer. I want to show people why. That maybe some of the hard things you're facing right now is giving you a voice that you didn't know you had. May you become one that steps into that and God shines through your life. So quietly, would you talk to him about that? I'll do the same and we'll close in worship in just a moment. God, I thank you so much that you are a God that is pursuing people. That you are a God who has come to seek and to save that which is lost. We watch that pursuit of Darius and with wonder, just long that it would really have been true that he surrendered to you. This I know that you are pursuing. And I know this you're still pursuing. God, I pray for any that find themselves here and you are working things in their life to bring them to an end of themselves and to surrender to you. I pray for those to believe, to find hope and life in you, and to see that life through us. God, we pray for you to save. Leaving those in your care, I do pray one more time just for those of us who know you, and I believe you, God. I believe that what you've told us is true, that you're working on us. We are your workmanship, and you're working in our lives to position us and help us grow into spaces where we can shine and show you to this world. You have promised to go ahead of us, to prepare good works for us to walk in. Thank you for letting us watch Daniel walk in those. And now, Lord, give us such 
just ability, faithfulness, that we would shine for you, that people would see what we're going through, but they would see how good you are. God, cause that to be seen in and on and through our lives. I pray for that now for me and for each of us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May God meet you in that. May he draw you to be like a star shining in the sky that people can navigate by your life. May it be so. Longing for that. Hey, if you need to talk to someone to pray afterwards, we'd love to be there, whether that's surrendering or something else. But right now, let's close. Would you guys stand? We're going to close in a final worship song, and I just want to bless you in the name of